I want them to dance. I want them to interact with each other and not just stare at the DJ. This is not a concert. This is dance music and this is not we all stare at the DJ music. Hey streamers and dreamers, my name is Kike Lomo and you are listening to The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. It's Thursday, May 11th, and this is your weekly update on music, culture, and what's next. Just last week, the World Health Organization lifted the state of emergency for COVID-19, which means that things should be officially back to normal. However, we all know that COVID-19 has had a major impact on all aspects of life, especially on industries that heavily depend on live events, such as the music industry. Concerts and festivals simply did not happen for quite some time. That, of course, meant huge financial losses for artists, DJs, bookers, engineers, promoters, and organizers. So, COVID-19 no longer determines our public lives. Live events are back in full swing. And not only that, there are actually more festivals now than ever. But nothing is truly back to normal. Many people involved in the industry found jobs elsewhere during the pandemic. Ticket prices have skyrocketed, and even lower-priced events sell a lot less tickets than before the pandemic. So, has the pandemic changed us? Did we get too comfortable during lockdowns? Are we somehow still afraid of having so many people in one place? Or is money the issue here? This week, we're taking a look into festival culture after COVID. What has changed? And what could be done to adjust to these new circumstances? To talk things through, I've invited some wonderful people to the studio. Nils Gelfoy has been shaping German music landscape for years as a DJ, booker and organiser before, during and after the pandemic. He contributed to new remote concepts that made all of our lives way more interesting during lockdown, such as Hu and United We Stream. And now he's taking all of these post-pandemic changes into account, organizing the Home Again Festival in Berlin. And also joining us is DJ and producer Sinti, who's been playing in clubs and festivals for years and who will also be playing at Home Again Festival later this month. Hi, both of you two. Welcome to the studio. Hi, thanks for having us. Hello. How are you thanks doing? Thanks for having us. <laughs> good, good, thanks. Good, good. Enjoying Berlin springtime? Of course, oh, finally. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> finally. <laughs> You've both experienced lots of festivals before the pandemic here, and now with COVID more or less in the past, what would you say is the biggest challenge in running and also playing at a festival today compared to the the pre-COVID days? I would say the biggest difficulty I see at the moment that everything gets so expensive You know, we have the war in Ukraine, so we have this, um, how do you call it, the energy crisis. Then we have a lot of inflation. You know, people just have a little bit less money in the pocket, in my humble opinion. And then, you know, when you go to a festival, it's not only the ticket you buy, it's you're going to buy drinks, you're going to buy gear. And then for some people, they maybe think about, okay, am I going to this festival, spend a thousand euros or am I taking this thousand euros and go somewhere nice for a holiday? So mm. I think that's yep. at the moment, that's the big problem. And also I was talking to another friend of mine. He books a really big festival. And he said last year, everyone wanted to play almost for kind of free. And then this year he really had problems to get good artists, even the small ones. It feels like they play one her set and then their they feels like 3K. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's not working. I think this, these are the biggest difficulties we have mm. at the moment. And do these difficulties specifically impact you as a DJ? No, I think I have a different kind of problem with festivals. What would, what would that problem be? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's always like that. So, I mean, I play festivals, of course, but some of the festivals I played last year and I know I killed it, that didn't book me this year because it's like, okay, they want to have different people and then hopefully next year. So, okay, that's how it is, yeah. And what about for you, Nils? 
Um, yeah, I would I would say exactly the same. Um, I would add that there to the to the financial aspect, there's also like a sociological aspect, which is um, during the, the the pandemic. First of all, there's two generation or two two years that have never been partying, that were never mm. going out to festivals, that are now like basically facing this big amount of festivals. I read somewhere that there's actually like. I don't remember the exact number, but like 50, 60% more electronic music festivals than there were before the pandemic. And uh, they have like this, this big masses of opportunity. But at the same time, there's so many that learned, what can I do on a weekend? What else are, uh, other opportunities are there and to, to spend? Free your, parties, yeah. Yeah, or, or just even go to a lake or read a book, something like to, to spend your time differently. Mm. Um, and at the same time, also people got pregnant and... <laughs> and um, And then you have the this, this sheer amount of festivals. And like you said, um, there's like getting a tent. This is also, it doesn't only mean financial resources, but it also means time. Mm. Like who's who's going to be the driver that drives me home sober out of our group? That's um, always the question. <laughs> where's actually my tent? I forgot. Like, do, do I find it? And do I really want to sleep in a stinky um, sleeping tent? I don't. And I, I, yeah. <laughs> and I hear from like so many other festivals, like the, the, the first stuff that they sell out at the moment is this glamping opportunities. Mm. Like where you have this pre set up tent it's nice maybe you even have like a, a bathroom uh, included or something and and this is the first thing that they sell out because i think you need to make it easy accessible um for for the people and it's also a little bit what we're trying to do with our home again club festival okay and obviously during the pandemic people had to get a little bit creative during lockdowns and you know Niels, you were involved with the development of her and also united be stream um and you've We almost, in my opinion, not quite, but we were trying to look for this kind of club feeling at home during, uh, um, in our living room during this time. Do you think this uh, online presence somehow contributed to what people expect from a festival today? I mean, I think there's festivals like Deckmantel or, or Ava Festival that basically got their image through their boiler room uh, recognition. Um, but I think like a stream um, from home or from her or from wherever can never replace uh, a night out. But of course, it gives you an idea of what this DJ is going to play. And also there's DJs that built their career during the pandemic without even having played one regular gig outside. And, and they are still there. And there's, there's people that understood what they need to do in terms of market themselves um, during the pandemic and be still relevant. Okay. And how has this experience been for you as an artist, Inti? Uh, to play a stream? Play streams, both, I guess, in front of people and also behind mm. the camera um, during during lockdown. Yeah, during, during lockdown. Um, I mean, I did a couple of streams with uh, Niels, the lovely Niels, booked me first. Um <laughs> And I think it was really funny with the first stream I did for Niels because there was a special situation. Um, so I also run a record store. And then when the pandemic hit, I thought like, damn it, I might have to close because now there's no parties who's going to buy records. But then luckily, people didn't spend their money on festivals. So they all spent it at my <laughs> record store, <laughs> which was really nice. And I played a record I bought the year before. I played it at Neil's stream and then I got a lot of requests. It was super catchy and a lot of people, they asked me what this record was. And I was like, yes, this and that came out last year. And then my distributor got in touch. I was like, oh, I saw you played this record um, at the stream. I just, we just repressed and was like, oh my God, just send me 50 copies and put it up in my shop. And it was sold out in five minutes. And I think also what Neil said, um, a lot of people built their career during COVID yeah. while they had nice streams and they would have never maybe played a club gig before, but then there they got the chance to present themselves. Yeah, so from that aspect was really good, but... 
I'm a club kid, you know. Yeah. I love to go and have like a drink, you know, just do shit chatting with people. And I think the social aspect was not there. So that was the only thing that was really missing for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have to say, I'm still pretty fresh in my DJ career. Yeah. I've only been DJing for five years, but the pandemic is also when I was like, I'm going to learn how to play on vinyl. <laughs> like yeah. I was like, I want to be a master of all the yeah. all the trades. And that's when I, and I also started to build my vinyl collection. Mm. So I also have to say with that, it's been yeah. a very interesting journey for me. And I guess one of the other things I'd be interested in to get both of your perspectives on Talking of newcomers and, you know, fresh perspectives. Something that I've also observed from my perspective, and I would love to know if you've seen the same thing, is the new generation of club goers um, and their their interaction with streams as well. So mm. from my perspective, what I've seen is that a lot of people who have never been to clubs before, they they started going out just after the pandemic. The only reference points for clubs were, mm. you know, these 30 second clips from Boiler Room where you see everyone going wild for this track or whatnot. <laughs> yeah. And I know for me as a DJ, in not some places and, um, and these places where it doesn't happen tend to be places where you're not allowed phones or not allowed cameras. Mm. But People tend to have these expectations for club nights to be just hype all the time yeah. from beginning to end. Even yeah. um, I do a lot of DJ mentoring and a lot of DJ training. And I had to explain to people um, or explain to my students, you know, the art of an opening set, right? That it doesn't have to be, you know, hype from the beginning. And sometimes it's detrimental to a club night. And yeah. they were like, but why do I have to mm-hmm. adjust what I play? Because shouldn't the DJ afterwards also just have the ability to keep the energy going. I was like, well, you're thinking about it as an individual and from what you've seen on videos, but you have to think about it from the perspective of the person who's booking you and the person who's curating the whole night from like beginning to end. It's a whole journey. And so I would be interested to know if you've seen any expectations change as a result of, of, of these streams where you see... Um, you know, everyone going crazy for like 30 seconds, but also this new generation of people who don't have a reference point for what club going used to be. And I also don't want to, for me, I'm also trying to not be like an old head of like back in the day, you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Let also... might explain. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of things have changed, especially the younger generation. They all have these expectations from DJs. They think... Or when they go to a club, no, no matter at what time, it's already quite on, you know. Mm-hmm. It's already banging 145 BPM and it's like, it's not like that, you know. It's like... Yeah, the first thing I thought of when you were saying this was like, yeah, maybe that's the reason why people play faster yeah. than these days. Like, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's why they want to go yeah. full on banging. And and I agree, like the, the output that you have on social media, obviously no one posts a, a video of an empty um, club yeah. space. I did it once, actually. Oh, yeah? It was really fun. Sick. But it was like, yeah. like 7 a.m. in the morning. Like, I've been playing for five hours. Yeah. There was like six people in front of the dance floor. I was like, sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah, it was rare. <laughs> no, but not everyone has the ball to do that. And exactly. sorry to interrupt you, but... Sometimes when I play, it's really funny because um, you're like, okay, am I playing my stuff, the stuff that, that I want? But then on the other side, you always have this feeling of, oh, okay, but I have to play the bangers because you want to have the people putting their hands up in the air. But this is actually not what I want. I want them to dance. I want them to interact with each other and not just stare at the DJ. This is not a concert. Yeah, This is dance music and yeah. this is not... We, we all stay at the DJ music, you know? Yeah. And so some, sorry to be that harsh, yeah, yeah. but this has and changed and it's crazy. Yeah. I sometimes even want them to take them on a journey and learn a mm. little bit about mm. uh, about stuff. And um, yeah, for me, like you said, like the, the, there's this constant output of great moments on social media. Mm. I mean, it can be the fucking beach in Maui, yeah. but it can be also like this, this drop where everybody throws their hands in the air. But it's not like this. Mm. It's not like this all the time. Yeah. And uh, it shouldn't be. Because yeah. otherwise you don't you don't really cherish the moments when it happens. Yeah. I mean, with all of these changes, have you had to take any of this into account when you were curating and just generally concepting Home Again Festival? In general, our approach was like, 
like like we said before, financial aspect is a is a mm. big issue um, with those kind of festivals, and this includes artist fees, which mm. have risen a lot. Um, but then you can also look into like, okay, maybe we're not booking that many um, people from outside. And luckily, we're living in Berlin. This is yeah. another another factor for us. Like we book, like we have, I think, ten artists that come from outside of Berlin, mm. and then this includes somebody coming from Cologne or, or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, and 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 this is our approach to also like keep costs low. I was gonna say because the ticket mm. prices are still pretty cheap, around thirty yeah, yeah. euros, right? Yeah, yeah. How did you approach this? How did you manage? I mean, to do this that? is my 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 um, kind of idea of total cost of ownership, like how much you can spend in money and time, and and the the money factor. I think you need to keep it as accessible as as possible, and this does include the price. Okay. And if people, yeah. I mean, we started at seventeen euros. Mm-hmm. And now we're at 33 for the for the Friday ticket because you can basically stay 65 hours if mm-hmm. you dare to. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget nice. your new undies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Super. Bring snacks, you know, yeah. stay hydrated, take rests, you know. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Last question for both of you. I mean, all of these COVID restrictions were a pain in the ass for all of us. I'm really happy that I don't have to wear my FFP2 oh, <laughs> mask on the dance floor and again, we're all like sitting still, which yeah. feels like super, con- super contradictory to the essence of club culture. But um, anyways, is is there anything um, that you consider positive that has lasted regarding the club scene or organizing a festival or playing in a festival? I would say, I mean, as a promoter, um, you can a little bit rely more on ticket sales. They can give you like a little bit of an of an idea of how many tickets you will sell in the end. It's not that we sell out an, an, an event um, like this or, or a regular club night only with pre-sale tickets. But with, for example, doing events in RSO, we have like, Two percent that we don't let into the club because everybody that goes to RSO, which is a little bit far out, um, goes there for a reason. Mm. So this is this is okay then to sell tickets and 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 yeah, it gives you a little bit of money because also every artist um, asks for their fee upfront, asks maybe for their travel upfront, mm. and it gives you a little bit of cash flow. And this is from the from the I think it's it's a it's a pandemic thing. Okay, and what about for you as a DJ, Santi? I cannot really say anything. I think there's nothing that really lasted. I mean, as as soon as the restrictions fell, everyone was like, okay, cool, back to normal. And <laughs> I guess that's a positive thing, right? It's a, it's a very positive thing and it's almost like nothing happened. Yeah. That's really funny. It's, it's like, almost like a fever dream. Like, yes, like, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the, I mean, during the pandemic, there was like a lot of like social conversations about culture or, yeah. or yeah. subculture as yeah. well. And I think at least some of them are still relevant these days. Yeah. Maybe there's also a reason why we're doing yeah. this uh, round of talk here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that you kind of try to understand how things work a little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you so much both for joining us here in the studio and for contributing to the podcast. For those who are interested in Home Again Festival, it will be happening next weekend at RSO Berlin from the 19th to the 22nd of May. Cinti will be playing alongside many other amazing artists. Woo-hoo. So if you haven't got any other plans, get to Berlin and check it out. Whoop. Whoop. <laughs> All Thanks right. for having us. No, thank you for <laughs> yeah, joining thank us. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And now let's dive into the other headlines that mattered this week. Skepta launches a house label. Most of you probably know Skepta as a grime MC and producer, but I can tell you that he's a man of many talents: rapper, painter, philanthropist, and DJ. You might have even seen his name on the lineup for a Circo Loco night at Ibiza Super Club DC10 last summer. And now he's apparently venturing into house music. He just launched a new record label with longtime friend and fellow Boy Butter No member Jammer. The label is called Mas Tiempo, that's more time in Spanish. And they've already dropped a two-track EP called Mass Murder. I probably don't need to translate that one for you. 
I've seen some of my fellow DJ friends post a lot about it. And to be honest, this record did not really come as a surprise for me. Although Skepta is a heavyweight in grime, he spent a lot of time with his friend and fellow DJ Virgil Abloh, and he references him as an inspiration for his sets at DC10. So house music feels like a natural progression for him. One that I can definitely identify with as someone who also started out playing grime. Who knows? Maybe we'll end up going back to back in Panorama Bar sometime soon. Life after death. We've already talked a lot about AI and music on this podcast, and we could probably start a daily podcast with everything happening. I mean, if you're an artist, you simply cannot ignore that AI will have an influence on your art and on your income. If not now, maybe once you've left this earth. Last week, super producer Timberland decided that it was time to finally finish a dream collaboration with someone who simply cannot say no. It's a lot of talk about AI. We know how the feelings of violating certain things, but let me tell you something. I got a solution. I got a solution. I'm working on it. It's going to be beneficial to everybody. I always wanted to work with Big, and I never got a chance to. Until today, it came out right. So, Timberland and Biggie. Notorious B.I.G. died in 1997, and many fans were kind of suspicious about this new Timberland collab. Would Biggie have wanted this? Would he have liked this? I mean, posthumous releases have always been a tricky topic. Tupac dropped new songs long after he died. Exile continues to cash in from a series of remix albums featuring the voice of Joe Scott Heron. And there have been endless reissues and bootlegs of supposedly lost tracks from people like Jimi Hendrix. And now AI takes this discussion to a whole nother level. It seems like many artists have a range of perspective on this topic. You heard what Timbaland had to say, but here's Tyler, the creator, live on stage in L.A. I have in my will that if I die, they can't put no fucking post out. Anderson Pack even got a tattoo instructing people not to release any posthumous songs. Lana Del Rey shared a screenshot of the tattoo and confirmed that she'd also put in her will that no one is allowed to release more of her music once she's gone. Well, putting this into your will or on your body is one thing, but we all know the internet. So I guess people will always find a way. Only time will tell. What's happening to Vice Media? Vice seems to be the media platform that people love to hate. But whether you hate it or you don't, Vice really did change the media game when it first burst onto the scene. They started nearly three decades ago in Montreal with a punk perspective, and they broke boundaries with some truly wild content. They became a major voice in music journalism with channels like Thump and Noisy, and they spun it all into a global media company with a movie studio, ad agency, and a HBO show. Companies like Disney invested millions. Five years ago, Vice was even valued at nearly $6 billion. However, fast forward to the present day, and oh, how the mighty have fallen. The New York Times has reported that Vice is about to declare bankruptcy. This news would have been inconceivable only a couple of years ago, but it now reflects a general downward trend for all kinds of media companies. We don't know what will happen to all the Vice sites just yet, but it might be time to start downloading your favorite Munchies episodes. Someone gets a new crown. This week, all my social feeds were packed with news, stories, memes, and commentary on something that's actually pretty outdated. The coronation of Prince, well, 
I guess now King, Charles. <laughs> Traditionally, these coronation ceremonies are ridiculously huge. I'm talking thousands upon thousands of people, cameras everywhere and absurd price tags. In this case, a hundred million great British pounds with the taxpayer footing the bill. But what was really interesting to see was also the build up to the coronation concert. Remember when Donald Trump was elected president? Practically no musicians wanted to play at his inaugural concert. People like Sir Elton John, 2 Chains, The Beach Boys and Moby all said that they were asked and all said no. King Charles had a similar problem with the coronation concert. Many people said thanks, but no thanks, including Adele, Harry Styles and also, again, Sir Elton John. Apparently, the Crown even tried to get the Spice Girls back together for the concert, but ended up settling for Take That instead. I'm all for an eclectic curation of a concert, but with Lionel Richie, Katy Perry and Nicole Scherzinger of the Pussycat Dolls all performing last weekend, it really makes me wonder what Charles' Spotify algorithm is looking like. As you might know by now, this is the part of the podcast where we ask our favorite DJs, producers and music lovers to recommend someone or something dear to their hearts. And this week, we asked Berlin-based DJ, producer and label owner Mo Elian to tell us about a DJ who she thinks deserves more love. A DJ that I feel like is underappreciated and deserves more shine is Lucas Wickflex from Nottingham. Guy's amazing. He's one of the most skilled, amazing DJs I've ever heard in my life. There's something about his sets that doesn't sound like any other DJ set. They're very adventurous and they're extremely patient. And he is entirely unbothered by the crowd or their need for speed or quick changes. Although he can play fast, he can play slow. He's very, very versatile. But he just does his thing and people are completely hooked. And I think he's a very respected name in the UK. But I would have loved to see him play in Europe more because I think that he's a singular, incredible artist and a great human being. So it would be great to see that. Cheers to that. And I have another recommendation for you because Moore Elian has new music out herself via her own label, Fever AM. It's a two-track EP called Double Dip. She just released the first track a couple of days ago and the second will be released tomorrow. You can find the link to her Bandcamp in the show notes. Be sure to check it out. That's all for the week this week. Thank you for listening. I will be back here next Thursday. Until then, have an amazing week. The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories. <laughs>